Today's Sunday sermon has been made possible by the members of Southside Christian Fellowship Church and listeners like you. Thank you so much for your continued prayerful and financial support of this ministry. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and how to get involved, or simply want to give a gift, please just go to our website at southsidechristianfellowship.net today. When we finally realize and get it in our hearts that God is our king and he is who we should be living for, then everything else is light and temporary. And it doesn't matter what they threaten us with. If they threaten us with jail, then bring on jail. If they threaten us with persecution, bring on the persecution. If they threaten us with death, bring on the death that only makes us closer to our heavenly father. Death doesn't bother the Christian. It bothers the people that are left behind. Now stop looking at the things you see with your eyes. That's not how God operates. God operates in a spiritual world. We're supposed to do spiritual battle. Our enemy is real, and he's trying to distract us from what matters the most. He does everything he can to take our focus off the things that matter most and turn them towards the things that matter least. This world we're living in is temporary, and according to the Apostle Paul, the afflictions we encounter are light. In today's message, we will continue looking at how to expose the enemy and what Paul meant by light afflictions. I think God is just really stirring the waters. He's been stirring the waters. I don't know, you know, this is the year of awakening. It is a year of eye-opening experiences, and I think that God has taken a lot of time this year to awaken the Christians. Uh, I, I felt like it'd be a year of awakening for those that were lost and blind, and to me, I believe it's God saying us as Christians have been putting blinders on. We've been going out into this world trying to do everything we can for Christ, but we're doing it in our own way and our own strength. And we're doing it for ourselves, whether we realize it or not. We go to church to get ourselves filled up. We listen to music to get ourselves pumped up. We read scriptures to get ourselves pumped up. And we've got to change our focus. We've got to start focusing on what God wants. And we got to go to church to get uh, our glory to God. We've got to not just do it to pump ourselves up, but for what purpose? What reason? It's got to be more than just us living an abundant life. The purpose of this life is not so that we can have a good time and just live it up. It is a side effect and a benefit of being a Christian and pursuing God, but it is not the main thing, but we've made it the main thing. And I think God has been using this year to say, wake up church, wake up church, wake up church. We've got to understand that we are pursuing God but we've been pursuing him for the reasons of having a better life. We need to change our focus. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. I've been talking about exposing the enemy. And this is part three of that series. And what God has really been showing me is that he's operating amongst us and he's using different tactics. But if we'll pray and if we'll read and if we'll draw closer to the Lord, he will give us those spiritual lenses to put on so that we can begin to see this world for what it really is. We can begin to see the attacks of the enemy. We won't have to wonder where they're coming from. We'll see them coming. You know, the guy that spoke yesterday uh, was not a very polished speaker. And the morning session did not go real well for me. Uh, I had a, the, the other friend we brought with us. He told me before everything started, he said, now listen, I know you're preaching tomorrow, but just remember, 
the people you're preaching to didn't get to have this experience, so you're probably going to be jacked up on cloud 20, and they may be on cloud nine, but you're going to be way more pumped up than them. And about halfway through the first service, I leaned over and I said, I, I don't think we got to worry about that. I'm, I'm not real pumped up. I just got to be honest with you. But I always have a good time on these trips because regardless of the speaker or the service, I get to hang out with friends and, and we get to just bless each other and share about our trials and tribulations, but also how God has been blessing us and blessing others. And so that part of the trip is awesome. And as we began to share in between services, there was a morning service and an evening service. You know, I felt like God just really reminded me. <laughs> I'm laughing because I stand up here and I get to speak in front of you. And a lot of times I'm saying it and God's going, exactly, Herman, you should do that. <laughs> exactly, Herman, you should take your own advice right there, buddy. And I've been talking about focusing, and I felt like that's what God said yesterday. He said, that's right, Herman. You need to focus more on me and less on the things that are going on in the service. You see, I got focused on the sound system and the music and, and whether it was mixed well. I, I, I didn't mean to. It just happened. And this drum didn't sound just right or this guitar was out of place and it messed with me. I didn't really get into praise and worship. And then the speaker wasn't as polished as I, as I like or, or that tickles my fancy. And so that was kind of messing with me, you know. And I began to critique his presentation and what he was talking about. And so I missed out on that first service because I got focused on the wrong things. And thankfully, I had a redo opportunity. And we went in that second service and it started again. And I started to nitpick some things. And man, God just said, don't focus on those things. Just focus on what I'm saying. Don't focus on how it's said. Don't focus on who's saying it. Focus on what's being said. And as I began to do that, all of a sudden, man, it became more and more powerful. It, it became really awesome. And I thoroughly enjoyed myself that second time. And I got a lot out of that second meeting, a lot more out of that second meeting than I did the first one. But God had to change my focus. I'm not a bad person. You're not a bad person. But we interpret that as being bad people. I wasn't focused properly. I must be wrong. And if I'm wrong, I must be bad. That's backwards. That's the enemy lying to us. You can be wrong on something and not be bad. If you're doing something wrong, don't you want to know it so you can change it? We don't, though, a lot of times because finding out that we're wrong hurts our feelings. It hurts us as who we are, especially as men. I don't know about women because I haven't lived as a woman before, but as a man... I don't like to be wrong. Matter of fact, I'll go so far as to find a loophole in whatever you're telling me. You may be right, but if I can find that loophole, I'll hammer that loophole to get out of being wrong. We got to quit focusing on the fact that if we're wrong, we're bad. Because when we fix that and we fix our focus and we listen to what the Spirit is telling us and we get ourselves aligned with Christ the way he wants us aligned with him, then great things happen. Greater things happen. We enjoy life even more. Especially in America, we get so focused on what we have and what we can get. And our comfort level is dictated by the stuff we have and the stuff we acquire. And yet you read the Bible and about all these different people throughout the Bible and even today in third world countries that have nothing and yet they are as happy as can be because they're focused on the king. They're focused on Jesus. 
there are people in America like that as well. I don't just mean that. I was trying to make a point that, you know, third world countries don't have as much as we have. But it's where is our focus? And I'm not saying you can't have stuff. It's where is your focus? Where is your heart? How can you test where your heart is? You can play the what if game. What if what you have goes away? Amy shared her testimony with you this morning. What she had went away. And that was a real challenge right then because where are you going to turn? Who are you really going to trust? And at first, our instinct, just like Amy shared with you this morning, is to panic and to try to solve the problems in our own strength. But if we refocus and we put it on God and we ask God how to fix our situation, then God will deliver every time. He doesn't always deliver the way we think he should. And that's why we got to get our eyes focused on him because when we begin to do things the way he wants them done, we experience the most freedom. So that's really what I'm talking to you about today is, is how do we get focused on God? Because that's what the enemy tries to do to us. He tries to get our focus off of God. He tries to get our focus off of the things that God has. And he does that through lies and deceit, but they're half truths. You see, one of the things we're dealing with right now in our country is the, the R word, racism, right? One of the issues is racism, especially today, is not out front and in your face all the time. If somebody comes to me and uses a certain language and disparages people a certain way, it's obvious they're racist. But what we're doing is we're digging in and it's not so in your face. It's kind of under the surface, well, that's what the enemy's doing to us. He's under the surface. He's not in your face like that unless you put on those spiritual eyes and you begin to see this world as Jesus sees this world and then it exposes everything that the devil is trying to do and it becomes in your face and easy to spot. We talked about disqualification. Disqualification would be you've done stuff in your past so you're never able or allowed to talk about that ever. Even if God opened your eyes, made you a better person, because you made a mistake in your past, you're not allowed to discuss those situations or those topics. If you've been divorced, you're never allowed to talk about what marriage is or how good it is. If you've been bankrupt before, you're not allowed to talk about finances and tithing. This is how the enemy disqualifies us. None of that is true. That's what growing up is all about, making mistakes, learning from your mistakes, and doing better, and then passing that knowledge along to other people so that they don't make the same mistakes you did. We talked about building testimony. When you look at the Israelites, God was constantly reminding them what he had done for them. Why? Because they kept going along their journey and forgetting what God had done for them. We can't forget what God has done for us. Because we build that testimony, Satan comes in and tries to make us forget about that testimony. He comes in and tries to get us to doubt our own testimony. We have to focus on that testimony and building that testimony and knowing what God has done for us. And then today we're talking about that focus. He gets our focus off of the eternal things and starts focusing us on the temporal things. Let's look at 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, verses 16 through 18. It's Paul talking here. He's writing a letter to the church in Corinth. And he says, therefore, we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary, momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. 
While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Paul was writing here in 2 Corinthians to the church at Corinth. He had already been there, witnessed to them, and gotten that church started and established. Gotten them focused on the right things, and yet he gets wind that they are starting to lose that focus. They are, they are beginning to look at the world around them and forgetting what Jesus and what God did for them. So Paul's writing to them to remind them of their testimony. He's writing them to unify them again, to restore what has already been done. You see, our world is full of challenges. As we look in that 16th verse there, it says, therefore, we do not lose heart. That's the first thing he told them in that scripture right there. Do not lose heart. That ought to let you know that there's going to be things that come up against you and me that try to make us lose heart. We are constantly at battle. We talked a lot last year about the armor of God, putting on the full armor of God, doing that daily. Why? Because there is a daily battle going on. Whether you accept that or not, whether I accept that or not, it's happening. You see, our world is full of challenges, so we have to put on that full armor of God. We have to remember what God has done for us. We have an outer man, we have an inner man, and they struggle against each other at times. That outer man reminds us of the flesh, and the flesh desires so many things that are counterintuitive to God. But Paul said right here, he said in verse 16, he said, but though our outer man is decaying, your outer man is decaying, there is going to come a day where you are going to die. You are going to pass away. Your outer body, your flesh is going to decay. He says, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. See, that inner man, that spirit is what lives on forever and ever and ever. And as we begin to feed our inner man and our spirit within, that's what's going to live on forever. I told you last time that we struggle because we're trying to feed our spirit man things of the world, but yet we're not worldly beings anymore. We've accepted a spiritual world, and God is our head and our leader. And when you do that, but yet you still try to feed your body the things of this world, they no longer hold the same value they did before to you. It's even worse. You probably had more fun as a non-Christian in those activities, even though they weren't fulfilling, which is what brought you to a saving knowledge of Christ, because you weren't fulfilled. But once you get fulfilled on Christ... Your flesh still wants to do those things that it did before because that's where it found what it thought was the most pleasurable. But now it no longer holds any value. You're not even getting the fun out of it that you used to have. Why? Because you're no longer that fleshly body, that outer man. You have that inner, inner man. You have that spirit man. And you've got to feed it on spiritual food. And the only way you do that is by digging in and drawing closer to the Holy Spirit, to God, to King Jesus. See, Paul told us that there would be momentary light afflictions. In verse 17, Paul tells us, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Let me set this up for you just a little bit. My definition or the difference between a professional and an amateur is a professional can take an activity and make it look easy when it's not. To me, Paul was a professional. Most of us, self-included, are amateurs at this Christian life. However, we're more professional than we realize. 
If we have God within us, we have the same God in us that Paul had in him. And if we will continue to do the things that Paul did and do the things that Jesus did when he walked this earth, we too will become professionals at this Christian life, meaning that we will make it look easy and there'll be others wondering how we can do that. We talk about the scripture that says he gives us the peace that passes all understanding. That is that professionalism there. That's saying everything around you is falling and decaying and just just disrupting your life, but yet you're at peace. The only way you're doing that is if you're drawing closer with Jesus. That's the only way everything around you can be crumbling and you can still be at peace. At peace means you're not having sleepless nights. You're not stressed. You're not worried. You're not anxious. You know God's got you and he's got this situation and he's going to take care of it. That's what being the professional is. But Paul being the professional gave us his version of momentary light affliction. He told us a little later on in chapter 11 of the second book of Corinthians in verse 23 through 28. This is his description of light afflictions. He says, are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. You know, when we follow Christ, there are people that think we are insane. Paul says, I speak as if I'm insane. I more so, in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number. They beat him so many times he couldn't even keep count. That's light affliction. Often in danger of death, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Let me tell you something. When I grew up, I still grew up in the spanking generation. And when I did something real bad, I got a spanking. I never got 39 lashes. And it was almost always, almost always on the behind. Every once in a while, he, you know, mom or dad would miss just a little bit, catch you on the back of the legs or just above the behind. I was a little thinner back then, so I did have a smaller behind, so it was harder for him to find it, I guess. But I never got 39 spankings, well, not at one time. I don't know if you add them together, I might have, but not at one time. 39 lashes each time. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I'm not done. This is light affliction, by the way. I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen. My countrymen, those are supposed to be your people. Those are supposed to be people that understand you. Dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. In addition to all of this stuff that's going on between the beatings and the shipwrecks, I'm still worried about the churches that God's called me to. That's what Paul's saying. These are light afflictions. I confess to you that I was very irritated that the internet went down two weeks ago. That was an affliction for me, and as Mr. Bobby will tell you, it did not feel light at the time. That's what I'm complaining about. And then I'm reading Paul, and I feel about this big. Light affliction. Why call it light affliction? You know, Paul had an understanding of another world. He understood it was light because this lifetime we're in is temporary. We're living for a later time, or at least we should be. 
You saw Gary very passionate this morning. Why? Because he understands that time is short and his temporary life is limited and he doesn't want to waste any time. He wants to do as much as he can. Paul is doing similar things here, right? Jesus was showing us this life is temporary, light afflictions. If you put our afflictions on a scale and you compare them to the eternal weight of glory, that's why they're light afflictions, When you put whatever chastisements, any punishments, any persecutions that you've gone through, that I've gone through, and we compare them to the eternal weight of glory, they are light afflictions. But some of us, and I'll throw myself in there, are fighting against laws. We're fighting for our rights. We're fighting for the things that are temporary. We've got to start focusing on the eternal, what's important. If we get to people's hearts, you won't have to worry about writing any laws to govern the man or the woman. You see, Christ will do the governing. Long time ago, Jesus wanted to be man's king, but man wanted a man to be their king, and God obliged, and that has not worked out. When we finally realize and get it in our hearts that God is our king, and he is who we should be living for, then everything else is light and temporary. And it doesn't matter what they threaten us with. If they threaten us with jail, then bring on jail. If they threaten us with persecution, bring on the persecution. If they threaten us with death, bring on the death that only makes us closer to our Heavenly Father. Death doesn't bother the Christian. It bothers the people that are left behind. There's nobody that's a Christian sitting in that casket thinking, I wish I was back on earth. Dad's told you many stories. I talked to uh, Dale this weekend, and he shared another story. Same thing. Those that have been brought back typically are not happy about it. And they share stories, and their first question is typically, why? Why did you call me away from such a phenomenal place? Death doesn't bother the Christian. This life is temporary. We've got to think on things eternal. And that's what Paul said in the next verse. Let me back up before I go to the next verse. Light affliction. It's light when we compare it to what others have suffered. If I put up the ways that I've been persecuted as a Christian compared to others, I'm a joke. My life is a joke compared to people that have really been martyred and really put their life on the line for Jesus Christ. I get nervous sometimes to even share Jesus at the drive-thru window. How lame is that? There are people out there that are putting their life on the line, and I'm scared to tell the girl at the checkout counter, does she know Jesus? What about when compared to what we deserve? We all deserve far worse than we're going to get. When compared to what Jesus suffered, what we go through is light afflictions. The blessings that we enjoy as followers of Christ Compared to that, our afflictions and the persecutions we go through are light. God's mercy and grace. And if you think about it in terms of this, if you lived 100 years, if you lived 900 years, it's still a drop in the bucket compared to eternity. So if you're presented it that way, would you not rather suffer for 100 years for an eternity of awesomeness? But our eyes get focused on this life We get focused on the pain. We get focused on the loss. We get focused on on the hurt. We got to change that focus back 
to what it's really all about. So what if I hurt on this side? So what if I go through some pain on this side? I've always read the story of Job, and I've always been confused how God could allow that to happen. But when you start thinking about it in terms of temporary versus eternal, what God allowed to happen to Job happened in a temporal setting. Eternally, his family is in heaven with God, right? Eventually, Job is eternally in heaven with God. And even what God replaced it with was temporary. That doesn't mean that, that we don't love those around us. That doesn't mean that we don't appreciate the things that we have. That doesn't mean that we don't try to take care of them and enjoy them. But our focus has to be on God. How do you tell if you're focused on God or focused on your stuff? Give something away. If you're sitting here thinking, think about the thing you love the most besides your spouse or your children, although we'll start smaller. Think about a material possession you just absolutely love. Could you walk out of these doors today and just give it away? If not, your eyes are not focused on Christ. I'm not saying you have to walk out of here and give it away. You let God tell you that. But if there's anything in your life that you couldn't willingly give up for the cause of Christ, then you're focused on that thing rather than God. You see, Paul understood this, and that's why he finished off this set of scriptures with verse 18, and he said, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. Now, stop looking at the things you see with your eyes. That's not how God operates. God operates in a spiritual world. We're supposed to do spiritual battle. I don't want to dig too deep into this, but it's been brought up that you better not attack my family or else I'll do something to you. And it's insinuated that I'll take your life. That's because we've been conditioned and trained this way and we're looking at it through fleshly eyes. I ask you to, I submit to you, ask God what he would have you do. It would absolutely destroy me. I'm telling you the truth right now. It would destroy me to lose my wife and kids. It really would. I'm working on it. Not because I just want to say, oh, well. But I need to understand this life is temporary. And until I get my eyes focused on God, I'm never going to live in that fulfillment that he has for me. I'm never going to reach that abundant life that he has for me. I told you, God to me works backwards. The first will be last and the last shall be first. If somebody slaps you on one cheek, turn and let them slap you on the other cheek, right? It's always backwards from our thinking. I think I should be protecting everything in the flesh here, right? God's saying, stop worrying about the flesh. Let me worry about that. You think about things eternally. See them in eternal eyes. The guy we, we saw yesterday kept talking about, in your world, this, this, and this. But in my world, this, this, and this. What he was saying was, look, you keep living in a fleshly world, and yet the battle is not in the flesh. The battle is in the spirit. And Paul's saying, look, we shouldn't be looking at the things that we can actually see, but rather the things we can't see. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Let me, let me leave you with this quote right here. I read this yesterday. It said, the invisible will one day become visible. In other words, the spiritual is going to become visible one day. One day we will all be judged by the king of kings. Faith will become sight. 
faith right now is the substance of things hoped for, right? It's about things unseen. But one day that faith will be seen. The visible will perish. What we see in the flesh is going to be gone one day. This life is temporary. Our eyes have got to be fixed on Jesus. Even while I was talking about losing a loved one, I know that was really tough for some of you because it's tough for me. But if we put it in terms of eternal perspective, if we think about it in terms of later instead of now, then it doesn't matter what we're suffering now because later is what we should be working for. This world is temporary. Satan will mix our focus up to try to get us off of the things of God and try to help us think that these things are important. And I'm going to tell you one of the ways he does that. He doesn't do it through strangers. He does it through people we know and love. We think certain situations are horrible until somebody near us experiences it, and then we begin to justify it because it's a loved one. It's somebody close to us. We have to take that part out of the equation whenever we're looking at each individual situation. And we have to look at each individual situation based on what God says, regardless of whether it affects a loved one or not. And that is extremely difficult. That is not easy, especially as we operate in the flesh. And that's what Satan will do to us, is get us to focus on the flesh and the things that are most important to us. What God's saying is, hey, quit focusing on what's most important to you and he's saying, start focusing on what's important to me. See, the scripture says, ask, seek, and knock. Ask, right? Ask and he'll give to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open. But it also says in there, you have not because you ask not. And when you do ask, you ask of selfish motivation. You see, if we'll line our hearts up with God's heart, you can ask anything you want to and be guaranteed to get it because it will be the heart of the Father. We've got to focus on what God wants. And the only way to do that is not rocket science. It's the basics, the things we've been born and raised on as Christians. It's reading his word. It's fellowshipping with other saints. It's praying and spending time with the Father. And I would say that last one there is the most important. The Bible as we know it today was not always in the form it was the people we read about didn't have the Bible that we have today, but yet they still knew a God and a greater power than themselves. How? Because of the Holy Spirit, because of God, because of Jesus. So reading the Word is important. Bouncing ideas off each other, iron sharpening iron is important. But getting time with the Father and just sitting before Him and praying. What did Jesus do after He had a long day of, of miracles and healings and, and, and worshiping with others? What did He do every time? He went away to be with the Father. He got away from everybody to spend time with the Father. When you begin to spend time with the Father, you will begin to hear his heart, and you will begin to know what he wants from you. So I say to you again today as we close up, the invisible will one day become visible. Faith will become sight. The visible will perish. You've been listening to Sunday Sermons from Southside Christian Fellowship Church place where you are loved, accepted, and received, a place of healing, a place of prayer, a place of hope. We invite you to join us this Sunday and every Sunday. For service times, location, and other information about the church, please visit our website at southsidechristianfellowship.net. Again, that's southsidechristianfellowship.net. As we wrap up today's message, we would like to once again thank you for listening. We would like to also 
have Papa Herman, an elder at Southside, to speak a Father's blessing over you. May the Lord bless and keep you, that He would cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, that the Lord would lift up the light of His countenance upon you and give you His peace. And remember that the Lord's favor is with you all the time. Expect it. It is with you. It's manifesting itself to you. It will overtake you no matter where you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.